In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. everybody welcome back to kenyatta and jack save the world we three for a minute because you were expecting kenyatta and i'm clearly not kenyatta i'm clearly jack but kenyatta how are you clearly doing right now i am clearly here <laughs> <laughs> man it's a it's a wonderful day in paradise isn't it just you know nothing happening as we're today recording this you know nothing at all yeah, nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's of, you know, any importance to the world? Oh. Or at man. least the US? Yeah, nothing at all. The hits just keep coming. Um, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, nothing, nothing exciting or monumental happening at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, today, guys, our, you know, fantastical audience, we are actually going to do something just a smidge different. I had recorded the first half of this interview for my solo podcast with Heather's cousin, Greg, who has lived and had quite an interesting life. Lots of twists and turns and craziness that has gone on. And when we recorded it, one hour was not enough. We were going to record hour number two. Um, but in the meantime, that since we recorded that, I have decided that I am actually going to um, stop doing my solo podcast. I was getting to where I was having a difficult time finding guests. And it was going to just evolve into me talking about current affairs, which I already do with the amazing Kenyatta. So I figured why duplicate it when I can have, you know, a weekly time talking with Kenyatta about stuff. So why duplicate? So I'm just going to, from this point forward, just do Kenyatta and Jack save the world. But I have this interview with Greg. So we're going to air part one after this, but then Greg is going to join Kenyatta and I for Part two, maybe part three. We'll see. <laughs> but anyway, um, thoughts, Kenyatta, before we uh, sign off here real quick and get to the recording. Um, um, I'm interested definitely with the with the switch up. Um, not a huge switch up in, in terms of our content because we have done interviews before. But listening friends, from what I understand, yes, he has had quite. Quite a life, quite quite a few experiences. So I think this would be a very interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to the second part of it, I guess you'd say. Yep, yep. So uh, with that, I am going to real quick, though, put out just a quick warning. There is going to be talk of 
um, child sexual abuse, alcohol, extreme alcohol use and drug use. And, uh, but it's worth listening to see how, uh, Greg has been able to work through these things and is continuing to work through these things. So, so with that, I guess, I hope you enjoy part one of this interview with Greg and we'll catch you on the next one. Part two. So as everybody knows, I like to talk to friends and family about interesting aspects in their lives because I think everybody has something that can inspire somebody else. There is a lesson in your life that someone can take for their lives. And that's what we're going on today with this theme. We have Greg, also known as Bubba, <laughs> also known as my wife's cousin. <laughs> yes, we've got a lot of people in my family that I still have to go through to have as guests on the show. And it is now Greg's turn. <laughs> so, Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Greg has packed quite a, quite a few things into his uh, 46 years of life. Um, all of the normal jokes that I would have made about it actually may have occurred. So I don't know if I can make those jokes or not. <laughs> yeah. um, but the one thing I can say is as a kid, this dude went to the ER a lot and it was all self-inflicted. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. So, so great. Why don't, why don't you um why don't you maybe give a a quick rundown kind of on sort of what we're going to talk about today and um this this may end up being a a two-parter. We will see. But I have a feeling that it's going to be. So go ahead Greg, introduce yourself and what you're going to talk about. All right. Well, I'm Greg and uh well, I say this a lot. I'm Greg and I'm an alcoholic. Um Basically, what uh, I think we we, sh we I'd like to cover is uh, men mental health and how it affects addiction or how it's affected addiction in my life. Um, All right. You know, uh, addiction doesn't run in my family uh, other than my dad, who more than likely has had a food addiction his whole life. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yes, I, I've always called yeah. your dad the anti-Noah. In that instead of having two of everything on a boat, he wants to eat two of every kind in case the first time it wasn't cooked right. Yes, he loves all animals. He loves to pet them. He loves to feed them. And he used to love to shoot them and eat them. Yes. <laughs> Never a trophy hunter. So uh, I got mad props to that. It was always about the meat. It wasn't about uh, how, how big the buck was or the rabbit or whatever. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, you know, uh, like I said, addiction doesn't really run in my family other than my dad is a candidate because uh, one of the signs of addiction is hiding, uh, hiding the substance that you are addicted to. And uh, still to this day, we can find some Oreos in some weird spots and things like that. <laughs> and, and the denial part of it. Um, there's been a few times, I guess I'm going to talk about dad for a second, but uh, there's you know, with addiction, when someone confronts you about it, uh, denial is the first thing that you do. And I remember one time when I moved back home about five years ago, I was watching dad get, I think, his third plate of spaghetti and 
his plates of spaghetti are basically three plates in one. And, uh, you know, and it's always frustrated everyone in our family. And, uh, and I told him, I go, dad, you getting that third plate of spaghetti is no different than me putting a liter of vodka on the table and just going to work on it. Right. Um, but he says, well, it's food. You can't, you know, got to eat, you know, like, well, right. That's true. But just vodka, you know, I'm just drinking a little. I wasn't, but yeah, I always drink a lot. Uh, but what the, my point is, is that, uh, while addiction, you know, it's normally generational, uh, with, with substances, it's not in my family. Um, and I attribute most of my, I think the way I got into addiction was through my mental health. Um, going back way, way back, um, before I was really self-aware, um, and I've learned a lot of this through therapy because I've had the opportunity to go through a lot of therapy, a lot of it on my own. A lot of it was encouraged by various uh, court systems. Um, but even as I was a young kid, uh, I'd hear screaming in my head. I'd hear people screaming at me and I would hit my head against things. Um, you know, a lot of kids do that, but I would hit my head against brick walls. Um, I remember specifically uh, going to Aunt Linda and being in the backyard of Aunt Linda's house and uh, Heather running inside because my forehead was bleeding. Um, and I was slamming my head against the brick wall. And, you know, I didn't know it then, but I think I just want, you know, they, a lot of kids do stuff like that for attention. But I think I was just trying to get things to get quiet. That makes um, sense. And I didn't. And I didn't know what it was. I thought that, you know, I just, I thought, I, I mean, I was too young to even have awareness on there being an issue. Um, yeah. But it, it, it caused a lot of, I had so many arguments going on with myself um, that I, I kind of stunted me a, a little bit socially. Now, granted, if you knew me as a little kid, you would have never known I was the most uh, talkative, friendly. I never met a stranger, uh, but it right. was all a show. It was all a show. Um, and the fun part is, is, I guess we'll just get right into the, uh, this used to be the hardest thing to talk about, but I found that uh, if you bring, if the more you talk about uh, past trauma for me, uh, the less power it has. Right. And so, uh, me go struggling a little bit as a kid, I think some predators could see that in me. Um, and so I went through a couple rounds of uh, some creepy older men in my life doing some things to me. And um, I didn't really know. I mean, who, what kid, what adult would know what to do with that? Right. Right. Uh, and so there was a lot of confusion with that. And I think, I think I was targeted mainly because they could see that weak spot. Um and be able to manipulate me, which they did very well. Yeah. And, uh, and so you throw that on top of, uh, that early childhood of, you know, my, I hadn't, I would have night, my nightmares. I didn't know it at the time, but I, I was, you know, very intense, lucid dreaming and it would feed into my waking day hours. Um, okay. and so I, when I was a kid that I was dreaming when I was awake. Um, but looking back on that, um, that's not what was happening. Um, I was having hallucinations. Right. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know 
I didn't, I would, I didn't start putting this together until I was 35. Right. right. Um, you know, as a kid though, you don't have a frame of reference on what mm -hmm. is sort of the natural sort of internal, you know, process of the brain and thought right. process. Cause in your mind, if you're eight years old and all this is happening, you probably just assume everyone works like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it turns out a couple of the kids in my neighborhood, man, I had, you know, the, the dudes that you roll around and uh, have fun, you know, playing in the Creek and stuff and your kids out of the four of those guys, two of them also went through sexual abuse. And um, one of them is he's, he's on a bad list. He's on a, uh, a sex offender list. So I was, and I grew up in a, an incredibly nice neighborhood too, but there was a lot of, crap going on in my childhood so and he's not uh, he's not bsing my wife and i got married at that house so that should tell you <laughs> that it was not a small place <laughs> yeah I mean, it's such a great neighborhood north you know north edmund and but you know that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day so nope uh my friend whenever i was making parental references i was with some other damaged kids and i guess you know maybe you seek each other out because uh, yeah. there are plenty of other kids in the neighborhood, but that's who i rolled with um golly a lot of memories coming back i mean hell we had a neighbor across the street that were um ended up being busted for cocaine dealing and i was growing up with this kid and they oh, were wow. like big time big time dealers and uh my mom always didn't want me to hang out with him because i mean this kid was like seven years old and he cursed worse than like i mean he had gold rings and he was like seven years old <laughs> they were a little, a little different you know, you yeah. go over to that house and uh, stay away from mom's wing of the house because you could hear stuff breaking and screaming and all kinds of stuff. So uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, a lot of insecurity started showing up um, because I would be going to school and I'd see all these other kids. Um, everyone else was good but me. And so, and of course, with uh, uh, abuse, you you feel dirty. That's just, that's a term that all the, yeah. anybody I've known and therapy I've done is you just think you're a dirty person because either that the person inflicting the crap on you is telling you that, or here, the ugly, nasty truth. And I've learned this with, um, you know, cause a lot of people hit the mute button when they're talking about sexual abuse as a kid, right? They're just like, oh, that's awful. I can't imagine. Yeah. I felt dirty. Well, why? Well, here's why I felt dirty. And I've learned that a lot of other people did too. Here's the problem with it. Sometimes it felt good. good. And yeah. what do you do with that? You know, it's not right, but you're, and I've learned this. I heard this from a therapist. It's like your body was responding to a physical stimulus. Your brain was, you know, and that's kind of how I helped learn how to detach that and understand what was really going on. Because sometimes you were stimulated. It did feel good. Right. And a lot of people don't talk about that. And that's where I think a lot of it, a lot of that comes in for people is they just think they, they're just a dirty person. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, it took a, it, and I didn't come out with any of that abuse until I was 36. I never, I never told a soul. Uh, it took my it took my first uh, first rehab, first time I went to uh, rehab to uh, to ever actually talk about that. Um, hmm. 
And well, that's that that's repressed. understandable, though. Yeah, it wasn't that it was repressed. It was just like, yeah, I guess it probably was repressed because I just, it just didn't. I I knew it happened, but I just never, I never gave it a chance to even, I to give myself a chance to even think about it. I just thought that that was my identity. I still thought I was a dirty little kid. Right. Um, and so you throw that on top of, uh, you know, having, having the voices and everything. And so what that, what ends up happening is those hallucinations manifested into evil. Um, they weren't always, my hallucinations weren't always bad and they still are, you know, it's a, it's a slippery slope because sometimes it's fun to go down that rabbit hole. Right. Um, but a lot of that, you know, my night terrors and sleep uh, paralysis, it all tied into the same mental illness. And um, on top of that, we definitely got some ADHD going on. You know, right. that is percent. I could, I remember being in first grade going, concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. You need to concentrate. And I'm concentrating on trying to concentrate. Which makes Good it to where you that. don't hear what the teacher's saying. Yeah, no, I... I 100% know what you're, what that was like. Yeah. Yeah. Concentrate, Greg, concentrate. And so I'm not making the good grades, you know, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm still very outgoing and, you know, I'm putting on a really good show. Um, And I'm fooling myself a lot of the time too. Masking does Um, that because that's what you were doing was you were just masking on the, on a grand scale. And, and, and as an alcoholic, like, alcoholics are really good at lying to themselves right you know that's you you have to be the master of that to be able to be able to abuse alcohol and and drugs for that many years so um so yeah so you know and then we get into to puberty and the hormones start kicking and uh i've my all my encounters uh intimate encounters have been with men right so here comes here comes the confusion um am i gay because these men seek me out and, you know, I, I didn't, I knew I liked girls. I knew that's what I was attracted to, but something in the back of my head was saying, Hey, you know, this is who you are because you're dirty. And of course, right. back then it was dirty to be gay. Like right. that in that, and AIDS was happening. Right. You know, we were, we were peak AIDS in the mid eighties. And so uh, lots of confusion and, and uh, a lot of self-hate, too, because, you know, the culture back then, too, was it was, well, at least at least in, in my family and everyone around me, it was acceptable to be uh, uh, discriminatory, I guess is a nice, uh, uh, the friendliest way to say, uh, I guess, yes. you know. Um, and so so I, I've, I've confirmed that I'm a dirty little kid. Right. And uh, and. With that said, even at age, I think, yeah, I think I was probably around 10 or 11, one of the neighborhood kids, he started molesting me. And uh, and then so I turned that into, well, maybe we're just hooking up. You know, I didn't call we didn't call it that back then. But uh, right. and so I kind of started to try. I started trying to reciprocate, but I just it just it, it just wasn't right. Like, just I'm like, this is weird. Like, this isn't clicking for me. Right. Um, but then again, I think those people were just seeking me out. You know, I think I just put that, I just put that vibe out that like, here, you can do what you want with this kid. Well, they're, they're called yeah. predators for a reason. And they, they and, can sense that out. 
And if I could just real quick interject, if you don't know what night terrors are, sleep paralysis, I'm not going to go into it today. Look it up. There is a movie on Netflix, which is probably roughly 10 years old. That's all about it. And if you've never experienced it, after you watch that, you will definitely feel sorry for everyone you know that has ever experienced that because it is it is creepy shit. It is anyway, back very, to <laughs> yeah, it is very weird. Um, and so yeah, um, had a fun little childhood there. Now, granted, I do have to say, you know, I love I I had hop I had a really good element to my childhood too. That was just like 10, 15% of my day to day. Like most of my childhood was good. Dad showed up to the games. He wasn't pushy. I was the baby in the family. I got all the attention I could ever want way, probably way too much, way more attention than I needed or should have gotten. Um, but um, I, I also kind of felt uh, a little, I kind of felt like a single kid. Cause my brother and sister are so much older than me. And, um, and they're so close in age. Uh, I didn't feel like I was part of the family. Right. Um, deep down. Um, I kind of, I felt, I thought it was the accident. I thought I was, I thought they didn't want me. Right. right. And, uh, and a lot of kids think that, right. I don't think that's exclusive to me or, you know, anything new, but that was just something else, you know? Um, of course, my mom accidentally tells the truth a lot, and we found out that Michelle was the accident. But uh, <laughs> and I was on purpose. <laughs> you were you were playing Michelle, was it? Which, by the way, Michelle is an alumnus of Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. She did the episode oh. on being a school administrator during a pandemic back in season one. She's and she's some. She's got some quick action game too. Yeah, I finally. Um, but anyway. Um, and so puberty hits, right? right. And uh, we got all that stuff in the stew. Uh, I'm as insecure as you can get. I'm a little heavy for being in you know, early teens, whatever. Um, so, I mean, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade aren't really awesome for anybody, I don't think. Um, and, you know, and having friends that have had kids, they, they can all attest to that, too. Um, but that's around the time that I started experiencing... You know, all all the while, uh, I'm hearing voices. Right. You know, um, and, uh, you know, when I say my hallucinations would creep into my, I always said that I was dreaming during the day, right? I was right. starting to realize that I wasn't dreaming during the day at that time. Uh, and, and that scared me. Uh, but I also still was telling myself that everyone else goes through this. And I was just bad at dealing with it. Right. You know, I, I thought everyone, you know, my imaginary friend was real, like as real as, as real as me, you know, sitting across the table from you. I can right. smell them. I can see the sweat coming off of their skin. Um, and, you know, I would tell myself that I was just having, I had a really good imagination. Um, everyone else has this, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to just cope with it. Uh, without knowing and of course i've never said anything to anybody right let me let me ask you this real quick do you do you have an inner monologue oh yeah it's not your the voice talking to you like it's your own inner monologue and then there's the voice that they like interact they interact yes 100 percent um and sometimes you know 
uh, it's external too. Because when I hear voices, it's not just in my head. Right. I hear it like across the room. Right. Um, but the inner voices, I ha- I'm arguing with. And okay. like, you know, and sometimes I'll be, I'll be like, shut up. I'll say it out loud, you know, without yeah. realizing, you know, right. if I'm by myself too long, it, if other people are around, I'm much better at being able to handle it. And it quiets voices a little bit. But if I'm by myself over an extended period of time, um, you know, it, it kind of opens me up. Um, and it, for me, it, the hard part about schizophrenia is it's real. Like the reason why people like me don't like to take medication is because you feel like you're literally losing, not a superpower. I don't want to say that, but you feel like you have a little bit more of a connection to something. And, and I'd be lying if I didn't say at my core that I, I believe I did. I, I just feel like I'm not gifted. I just, Whenever they made me, um, they just added a few frequencies that I can pick up on. Right. Um, and and that's the hard part is whether that's because it's so real to me. I feel guilt still right now. I still feel guilty going thinking, am I just being I, am I truly delusional? But in the back of my head, at my core, I'm, I don't feel like I am. I still feel to this day medicated, sober that um that it's real right and uh, and it doesn't scare me some you know so so uh, does I, taking the medication make you feel like you're like killing a part of yourself in a way a little bit yeah yeah um you know the longer i i've been taking i forget what whatever i'm taking now uh but with sobriety um the medication actually gets a chance to work Right. Uh, which I've never given myself a chance, which we'll get to that. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do feel like I'm missing out a little bit. It's kind of like there's uh, a little less sparkle in the, in the sunshine. Right. You know, it's kind of like uh, when I was, you know, I've been misdiagnosed a million times and it's very similar to like what bipolar people say is, you know, it's like it just nothing's good and nothing's bad. You know, I could I could be off and get a hole in one, and I'd just be like, "Cool, got a hole in one. <laughs> I'm happy." <Right>. Instead <laughs> of you know, feeling, feeling, feeling the feels, you know. Right. So yeah, it sucks a bit, but you know what? Um, it's not worth the trade off. You know, um, if I don't take that medication, I'm drunk again, and if I'm drunk again, I'm going back to prison, or I'm gonna die. Right. That's it. I mean, there's no, I've tried this. I've tried the alcohol thing. I don't know how many times. And um, it's just a dead end. Um, so anyway, back to, we're about to get into the drinking part. Of it. Well, that's what um, I was going to ask. Did you initially start? I know you probably started in junior high because a lot of us do, or at least high school. Um, that. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. And um, this is not like a negative statement towards your parents or anything, but there was easy <laughs> access to alcohol. Um, yes. Yes, what, there was. One of the first times I met your, your dad, him and him and Heather's dad, 
got me drunk as all get out because they were having a contest to see who made the best gin and tonics. <laughs> and I was the judge. Yeah. I went down to get Heather a Pepsi because it was, it was at your old house. So we were up all watching TV in the loft. I went down to get Heather a Pepsi and then they started the competition. And like 45 minutes later, I went back up there and handed Heather the Pepsi and I was just lit. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, old Uncle Mike gave me one of my first, gave me my one of my first sips. That doesn't surprise uh, me. <laughs> uh, I was, I think, I was probably uh, eight or nine uh, the first time I got drunk, um, and I did it by myself. And I knew well, I wasn't doing it. I, I was just doing it because whenever everyone else, whenever the grownups did it, they felt good, right, and. I wanted to feel good. And yeah. so, uh, and, you know, I had a lot of babysitters back then. And, you know, uh, my brother and sister were so much older. By the time I was like nine, 10 years old, they were finishing up their teen years almost. And they were right. gone a lot. Um, so I had a lot of alone time and I had the whole upstairs to myself. And, and uh, so there was always ways to do that. So, I got drunk the first time when I was eight or nine years old and um, I really liked it because guess what it did? It made the voices go away. Right. And that was amazing. Um, no wonder everyone was happy, ha so happy because it makes their voices go away. I'm still thinking everyone uh, is living the same life I am. Um, so, uh, so then we, you know, jump, you know, so I would drink every so often up until around, 13 13 um that's when i started drinking a little bit more often probably like two or three times a month um always by myself 100 percent, always by myself and i wasn't like you know i wouldn't just drink whenever there was like a birthday party it was like oh i can get away with drinking tonight so we're gonna do that and i'd watch like david letterman or whatever and uh and laugh and have a good time um but the, the booze really kicked in because I was so insecure. I mean, I, I shouldn't have been. I had a lot of things going for me. Um, but when I was 14, 15, that's when we started drinking whenever we could. Um, and I was, and that's when you start, you know, I started hanging out with guys that had driver's licenses. And, um, and so I was hanging out with older guys, and it was cool to smoke cigarettes and uh, drink beer. And uh, I wasn't like... Uh, a bad boy by any means. I was on the golf team, crying out loud. Um, by all appearances, I was a your standard standard issue preppy. Um, right. Wore my little polo shirts, my Colhans, and you know, doing the Edmund Edmund kid thing. And uh, but I was drinking every chance I got. Um, and of course, I didn't think I had a problem. I just thought it was, I think I, I found the solution to all my problems at that point, man. Right. I was yeah. good to go. Like, oh, okay, this is who I am. Um, and it was great. And so, you know, that, that progresses. Then I get my driver's license. And yeehaw, man. Um, you could drive up to Oklahoma City and go buy a beer at a lot of gas stations. And that's around the time when, you know, that's when I, I'd earned, I, I'd had the reputation of being one of the drinkers, like at, at my school. Right. Uh, one of the, and I got, you know, I, I blossomed uh, going into 10th grade, lost a lot of weight, got pretty. 
and uh, made a lot of friends and I was a pretty popular kid. And um, my parents went out of town a lot. Uh, so I had a lot of parties. Um, but I was very careful. I was always very protective of my drinking. Uh, so I never had full on parties. I would just invite like 15 people over and like, you could lose the privilege. You could only do beer bongs in the bathtub. Like, you know, I was very <laughs> standards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> only I could smoke cigarettes in the house because it's my house. Oh boy. I was a knob. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm popular. Everything's awesome. I'm drinking a lot. Um, so when I'm 16 on January, it was January 17th. I don't know what year it was. Probably 93, 94. Yeah. 93. Uh, I got my, I got in trouble for the first time with the law for drinking. Um, we were out cruising, which, you know, thinking back on it, let's go cruising down the main street and drink beer while we're cruising where all the cops are. That's a great idea. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, so we got caught um, in the McDonald's parking lot. Mom and dad had to come pick us up. I uh, got my car taken away. Um, for a couple weeks probably should have been longer uh that was very manipulative uh so i i convinced them that them punishing me by taking my car was really punishing them because they had to take me everywhere well i mean technically it was yeah you weren't wrong <laughs> so i'm back driving again um and of course this time i get a job at a restaurant like i've been living at a golf course basically working there and playing golf because i wanted to be a pro golfer that's pretty good at it too. Um, I can still knock it around okay. Um, but I got a job at a restaurant. And that's when I think getting a job at, the, at a restaurant was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Uh, because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Like, I could write a book on the characters of this place. Like, and it had all the tokens. Like, you had, like, you know, the crazy dramatic really pretty blonde girl server that's just a just a basket case you got the heroin addict you know skinny white dude that you know disappears for a week at a time but he's so good on the on the line that he, they just let him come back you know you got the will smith college college guy who's a manager you know he's got his the he's in the black fraternity thing and he's got his you know like just mm. everything token and we had like the general manager who was your token general manager alcoholic um and so everyone drank there all the time uh there was drugs all over the place i didn't do drugs i was very uppity back then uh i just drank <laughs> but i would drink 24 milwaukee's best you know like it was nothing you weren't um, that uppity if you were drinking milwaukee's best but then yeah, again you were a kid and that was probably all you could afford i did have a taste for uh, uh bourbon though uh but i knew knowing that you your family, you almost had to. <laughs> Putting water down the bourbon because dad, dad got to where he'd put pencil lines on the bottles so he'd know what the levels were. And so I'd add water back, right? Well, you can't really do that with whiskey. So right. I drank mostly gin and uh, vodka. Not a dare deal. Uh, but I was a resourceful kid. So when I was 17, I got my first fake ID. Um, and it was solely for... It wasn't so I could go party and everything it was so i could always have alcohol right um and back then it was it was real easy to get a fake id all you had to do is find out um 
the city you were born in, your mother's maiden name, and uh, the social security number. And you could go, I remember going, it's like we're in the OU Medical Center area um, where they distribute birth certificates and death mm -hmm. certificates. Got a copy of a birth certificate of a guy who had no idea that I did that. I just found out information about him who was 21. So I had my own birth certificate. So if, even if my ID got taken, I'd just go get another license. And this is before the internet. They didn't pull up your face on the database. Right. You know, so I was, I was golden. So uh, that's when I started drinking liquor. Um, got my first car wreck. I uh, was able to hide that from my parents. Uh, I, I sold it as a, uh, my transmission blue, uh, Gary and Sandy. Sorry uh, if you hear this, but, uh, yeah, my transmission didn't blow on that one. That was me. I, I hit that stop sign. Um, and that was hundred percent from, uh, drinking, um, what the hell, drinking Jägermeister out of the bottle, just drunk out of my mind at 8, 8 PM on a Wednesday night. I'm, I'm um, going to say then you were already a next level alcoholic. If you were checking the Jäger. I think I hit alcoholic at 17. I, I I mean, I was a problem drinker. There's different categories, you know, uh, social drinker, uh, uh, hard drinker, and then uh, alcoholic. And right. I think alcoholic around 17 because uh, even a few years back, a buddy said, and I, and you know how you have memories of things that are so distinctive and are just so random, but it, that must've really meant something. I remember driving right. back from, 23rd street and we were drinking beer and we were getting ready to just what we do is just go east by 35 and drive around and drink beer and i remember uh sitting in the passenger seat and i was like three beers in and i remember saying god i wish i could just have a buzz all the time right and my driving was like what that's weird and to me i was i mean i meant it i was 100 percent like this is that would be great and now looking back on it, i'm like wow that that was it. You know, that was, that was a really, uh, a very specific moment in time where that, that should have told me something. Uh, but what it, what it would have told me was to let's go. This is who I am. Um, and so, so I started drinking all the time. I was still managing to make good and just good enough grades to graduate high school. I think I got a lot of courtesy C's, um, from the teachers cause I was, I could be charming and, you know, back then you could, Give, give your teacher a shoulder massage shoulder massage yeah i was in speech therapy a lot when i was a kid too but that's a whole other thing uh, uh shoulder massage there we go um so i was able to charm away and get a lot of extra credit um doing things so um just kind of skated by i didn't want to make to try too hard because i didn't believe i could do any good you know right. I, didn't, I didn't think great so um, I just couldn't wait for college because I wanted to have the college experience. Um, now during all this time, you know, my mom and I've always had a good relation, a pretty close relationship. Uh, I'm not going to get into some of that stuff that I went through with her. Uh, we're going to let that dog lie. Um, but you know, there was times off and on where I would, get, I started going to therapy. I think when I was 14, um, just cause I was, Whenever no one was looking, I wouldn't be the outgoing person. My mom saw that. Um, okay. And so I was, I started therapy, you know, at that age. And I didn't really know what to do, you know. Um, 
but you know she could see she could tell something wasn't quite right uh but she wasn't going to get anything out of it. um so at that time i'm i'm pretty much good i'm i'm so good at lying to myself and everything i'd created a reality that i was a pretty happy guy uh during those years uh looking you know I, I kind of like you know Napoleon Dynamite that one dude with the football team. Like I peaked. Like that was one of my happiness peaks was high school. Um, so then, and I and I mean senior year I was just drunk, like hiding it under the the guise of, you know we're just partying and we're high school. You know it's our senior year we can you know, but right. I was drinking almost every day. Um, especially that last last uh, semester, the, the spring semester. And so I was going to go to Oklahoma State. I didn't really have a whole lot of options. Um, I didn't make very good grades, but my brother and sister went to Oklahoma State. I was going to Oklahoma State. I had absolutely no intention of going there for scholastic reasons. I was just going there to party. Um, but, you know, you surround, you surround yourself by people like yourself and uh, – my roommate that I chose, uh, he he was, we considered him the alcoholic, um, even when all of us were partying all the time. But he was kind of like the, uh, he was the Paul Finch of our group. He was drinking cappuccinos and smoking cigarettes and reading books in coffee shops. Like, he was that guy. Uh, and scotch, you know, like, but him and I, we were homies. And uh right. We decided we're we're too cool to join a fraternity. By the way, that's how cool we were. Uh, I was basically intolerable at that point. Um, so we lied and said that we were commuting uh, to Oklahoma State, so we wouldn't have to live in the dorms. Um, big mistake, huge. So we're not living in the dorms. Not that there's a lot of accountability in dorms, but there's some. More than zero. <laughs> Not a lot of accountability in fraternities, but they make you go to class. We have a house a mile off away from campus, and we both have fake IDs, and we both think it's glamorous to drink. You know, right. I, I had every freaking bartender book you can imagine, you know. Uh, I We thought we were so cool. And so that's when we started drinking every day. Uh, and we would get really, I mean, that was... It was full on. We'd split a handle of a uh, bourbon every day, oh and uh, sometimes. Um, and so going to class wasn't that easy. Uh, but I was at that stage in my life. Yeah, I yeah we was we would get a handle and we could we could split it we could split one of those and drink it no problem. Um, and I remember that's when I started getting really bad hangovers, and um, I never used drugs right. Even I'd smoked pot like twice in high school and I didn't like it because it made me paranoid and it made schizophrenia 10,000 times worse. Um, it's just a conduit for that, for uh, hallucinations. Like, and it's a disassociative, which I haven't talked about that. We'll talk about that soon. That's a fun little element of my world. Um, so yeah, we were drinking every day and uh, we pat one night. We, you know, there's all these warning signs like, dude, Really? Is this what we're like? It's time to time to slow down a little bit. So one night we're passed out. We both have these big lazy boy chairs in the middle of the living room because we're cool. 
Um, and of course, we had candles burning for some reason. I don't know. He liked candles. And uh, I wake up and I look over at John and there's smoke coming up from underneath his chair. And uh, and I'm so drunk. I can I barely remember it. But I just remember when John, 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 because flames, there's flames starting to come up, you know, in between his legs, uh, between his chair and the, uh, the ottoman. And he wakes up and I'm like, it's on fire. And so we both freak out. And uh, I go get the fire extinguisher and uh, try to blow the fire out, but it's not blowing out. I pick the chair up and throw it in the front yard. And then we finish off the fire extinguisher and water on the uh, carpet. Um, this wasn't a nice house either, by the way. It was a just a slum uh, college rental, you know, racket kind of a deal. So that right. house smelled bad. And the carpet was the same carpet for God knows how many college students living there. Uh, it, the smell was not pleasant. Um, and so we end up cutting out because the carpet's still smoldering. So we just cut a huge circle around and we're talking about a six foot circle of a carpet and throw it out on the front porch. And so we just literally both had drank enough to pass out in our chairs, wake up to a fire throw it out. It's in the front yard burning still, smoldering. And I'm sitting, and this is another one of those memories. I'm sitting there on the front porch. <clears throat> you know, it's four in the morning. You sit on the front porch. John sits down, lights up a cigarette, because that's what he does. He looks at me and goes, cocktail? So we make another, so we decide to make a drink and because we turn that into something funny. We're like, oh, well, well we've done this now. Almost burned down the house. Ha ha. Right. Uh, just just idiotic you know just running through life without any any hint of uh accountability or care for anything it's just the world is mine right um so that was a bad night that's that's like three months into the freshman year of college and this is when yeah this is where alcoholism really kind of really took hold right i started smoking pot because i started having hangovers so bad and of course, a guy like me, I decided to smoke pot that morning when I'm hungover. By the end of the day, I had a bag of weed, a bong, and a pipe. And I might as well have that gotten the hemp necklace at the time. Like, that was who I was now. Because I'm a weed smoker. I uh, haven't gotten into the uh, really heavy stuff yet. Um, but during that time, I think it was that same semester. Uh, so we were depressed. We weren't making any friends. All we did was sit at our house and drink, right? Right. College was supposed to be, college was supposed to be a lot more fun. There were supposed to be girls and all this stuff, but there weren't. Um, but we had no network to make friends. We didn't go to class hardly ever, so we're not making friends there. We're not meeting people from the dorms. We didn't join the fraternity. We're not meeting people there. Um, but of course, we're still too cool. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm not doing this right. right? But but also at the same time, I didn't care. Um, right partying i i only saw one foot in front of myself and that's all that mattered and all i cared about was how i felt i completely lived my identity was so woven into how i felt emotionally at the time uh and that's still something i have to work on uh that's been my biggest thing with recovery is being able to separate my emotions with my identity um 
that has been huge for me because I always thought like, if I'm happy, I'm happy. That means my soul, I'm a happy person. Greg is a happy person. Right. Not happy right now. If I'm depressed, I'm a depressed piece of shit. Right. You know, I've never, I never really thought to distinguish the two. I just thought that that's how it was. Um, and that's been crucial this time around. Um, so all my friends went to OU, um, kind of tying back into how we didn't have a lot of friends in Stillwater. So I decided to go back to OU, uh, for, for you know, to go party with everybody. And, um, so I went there. I couldn't tell you what happened. I, I remember being in some fraternity house and beer bonging, but I blacked out. Um, and I wake up on the floor in some person's house at, I don't know, probably three in the morning. Um, and I thought, and this was the last night that you could buy beer all night long. The law that you couldn't buy beer between 2 a.m. and 6, 6 8 a.m. or whatever it is. Uh, was going into effect the next day. So I wake up from a blackout on the floor in some house. I've got my keys. I'm going to get a six pack and drive back home. Cause why not? I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how I thought things through back then. I was just like, well, this would be a good story. Uh, and it ends up being a story for sure. Um, uh, not a good one, but a story. Um, it's one of those like, here's your sign, you know. So I go to the gas station, I buy a six pack of Bud Light. I'm driving, la 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 la. Things are good. I'm listening to some music. I'm a little tired, but you know, I'll drink a few beers. That'll wake me up. And I wake up. I'm driving right. So I wake up driving, and because I'm bouncing right, I'm like wow, this is weird. The road's rough. Oh wait a minute, I'm not on the road. I had passed out at the wheel and had gone off the road on I-35. And, uh, you know, I gather, get my, get the car to stop and everything. And I get it to a stop and I'm right by the frontage road, about a hundred yards short of a stop sign. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well, cool. We'll just get back. I wasn't even, I didn't, I was so drunk. I was just like, Oh wow. That worked out. And so, uh, I toast, toast God. I used to toast my uh, windshield with my beer. Click. Um, whenever I had good fortune. So I toasted that, that, and I was like, cool, we're just going to head back home. And I'm looking at the stop sign and, and something, something seems off. Um, it turns out I was down by Arbuckle, I was down in the Arbuckle, almost in the Arbuckle Mountains. I was going to Dallas. Oh my God. The wrong direction. Passed out at the wheel. Went off the road, luckily woke up, came to a stop, didn't hit anything, realized I'm going the wrong direction. I laugh. I think it's funny. Turn around and drive home, throw up in the car on the way home, and I make it home. That's the, uh, that might be the world's record for the longest trip from Norman to Stillwater. Oh, my God. And, of course, I drank the six-pack. because. Well, you yeah. Know, if it makes you feel way. any better, Misty probably holds the record for driving from... Uh, a Midwest city to more because she turned left when she turned, should have turned right, drove to Shawnee, realized she effed up, turned oh. around, but then she kept driving and went, when she got to Yukon realized I've gone the wrong way again. Wow. <laughs> and she finally turned around and made it to more. And I was like, when you were driving past downtown, that wasn't a clue. 
well she was like i didn't drive past downtown and i'm like well what were you on she's like i-40 and i was like then you absolutely drove past <laughs> downtown and she's like well for part of it i was on reno and i'm like then you drove through <laughs> yeah right oh my yeah thank god for google maps right uh, i i use google maps knowing where i'm going just to decrease anxiety um but yeah anyway so back to war stories um you know in AA, whenever you like share your story they have you share your experience strength and hope so you'd say uh where you're from what happened and what you're like now uh so we're in the what happened phase i guess right now right. um and so college was a total fucking train wreck i find cocaine I find LSD. I I find Hunter S. Thompson, who's my hero. I read everything that he writes. I watch every movie that he that's about him. Not a very good role model. Um, and I just was all about getting weird. Um, I would I'd take LSD without anybody else. Um, just to just to see what would happen, you know. Um, and I, I'm a full blown alcoholic, of course, at this time. So. I was hanging out with the hippies because um, they had all the drugs and uh, they'd be like, yeah, let's go take mushrooms. And I'm like, well, hold on. We got to go by the store real quick. I'm like, why are you bringing whiskey? I'm like, why are you not? <laughs> you know, alcohol was always, always the main thing um, because it, it worked better than anything. Mm -hmm. um, right. You just made it quiet. It made everything all right. Um, now, granted, the drinking wasn't always fun at this point. It was a job. Uh, it had become a job about halfway through college. Um, and by job, I mean, it was being an alcohol, an active alcoholic is, is a full-time job. It is 24 hours a day. Uh, you're so consumed with it. Um, there's not one part, not one point in your day within a two minute period where alcohol isn't in your mind. Uh, whether you're right. Drinking it, how you're going to drink it, where you're going to hide it, what all these things. Um, and so it it become a job at that point. And I was drinking enough to where, you know, I, I wasn't having withdrawals yet because I'd never gave myself a chance, I think probably. Um, but I was taking Xanax and all these other things that help with that kind of stuff. And I was smoking weed all the time, which helped with my stomach hurting and um, but I was still selling myself on the idea that I was just doing the college thing. Now I knew better with the cocaine because I would do obscene amounts of it. Um, not, not frat boy. Let's, let's get a bag and split it and do a couple lines. I, I would, I'd do an eight ball by myself, you know, I, and that's, that's enough for three or, that's enough for a lot of people. Um, so I did everything, as they say in, in my world, uh, I did everything alcoholically. Um, if I ate fried chicken, I ate a bucket of fried chicken. If I ate ice cream, I ate a bucket of ice cream. If I did cocaine, I'd do a bucket of cocaine. Um, it's just, it's alcoholic thinking, and alcoholic thinking can apply to any substance um, right. for people with the, this type of addiction. Um, you know, you're not... in. in my own personal belief addiction is it's not so much the substance it's the addiction to the addiction 
because it right. keeps you so consumed that it knocks out all these other things. Uh, so you can just be so consumed with that. You can just be a so, yeah, just being consumed with with the addiction. So you don't worry about the weird soccer coach that touched you or the barber or whatever. Um, and if you do think about it, you can scream "fuck you" and not and not. Uh, uh, pardon my French, but uh, you can you can there's, yell. There's at a warning at the beginning, so feel free to cuss all you want. <laughs> okay. Well, you are talking to an ex-con, so. Um, so yeah, college. You know, I barely skated by on that deal, um, and you know, so then I moved to Arizona because that's where my brother was. Anything my brother did, I wanted to do. Um, right, right. Look, and I can't say he graduated because I was there at the graduation yeah. ceremony at what is yeah, now T Boone Pickens Stadium, but then it was affectionately yeah. known as Rustoleum Field. <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't it? Texas High School Stadium would be nicer than that that stadium. Um, yeah, so uh, I moved to moved to Arizona and uh, get a job at this fancy resort. And man, everything's awesome. I moved in back here with my high school buddy who like always got all the girls. He's going to culinary school. We've reconnected. I've got, and he's just one of those guys that you know he's big, tall, and pretty, and 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 just a popular girls loving guy. So I moved up there and had already he'd already been there six months. So he'd already had already had an established social group. So I'm like, yeah, I must be awesome because this is all happening. I'm meeting girls and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. And my brother's here. I'm playing golf. Like I'm amazing. Um, and then he moved to San Diego. Um, and it turns out I didn't have a, a network of friends. Um, and he was an active alcoholic back then too, but uh, I don't think he, I don't think he is a true alcoholic. I think he was just kind of part of his age kind of a thing. Um, He's definitely not one now. He's got a great family and everything. And that's one guy I would love to reconnect with, but uh, maybe someday. Uh, I burnt, you know, people say, you, you know, you people burn a lot of bridges. Um, I didn't burn bridges. I just let vodka dissolve them. Um, so there weren't any like hard goodbyes or fights or anything. They just kind of, I just kind of, they just kind of dissolved. They're just, you know, when you don't answer your phone for 20, stop calling. That's just kind of how that. Yeah. Uh, and so I get a roommate who, guess what he likes to do? He likes to do cocaine. And that's about when it really started becoming a problem. Um, right. That, that's when the substance abuse, the alcoholism, that's when it started showing up. Really. Like that's, that's when I started getting trouble at work. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, well, let me let me interrupt real quick because we are at an hour now, and oh. uh, Greg and I discussed this beforehand that this is going to be a two parter because <laughs> I don't want it to end up, you know, I don't want him to not be able to tell the his full story in the way he wants his story told. So hell, if it takes a three parter for him to get everything he needs to talk about out, <laughs> it'll be a three parter. Um, but we are going to go ahead and and end this particular part of the episode now we could we could pick up later so i am going to go ahead and end the show as i always do and everybody stay tuned for next week for what may be the middle part of a trilogy or it might be the end of a two-parter we're not sure yet we don't know 
<laughs> so uh, I appreciate your honesty thus far. And I'm going to end the show like I always do. Remember, everybody, try to live your life in a way that would make. Oh, you know what? I forgot, folks. This is the first episode of season three. It's a new guy to make proud this year. So try to make. Uh, remember, try to make Steve Irwin proud. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.